0: PulpMX Network Production.
1: Pulp MX fans, we're 550 plus shows and counting thanks to your support of our sponsors. Get the Pulp MX app for iOS and Android today. Save money with discount code PulpMX at btosports.com and click the Amazon banner on pulpmx.com for all other online purchases
0: it's the btosports.com steve mathis show presented by fox racing on racerxonline.com the original moto podcast featuring
1: legends of the past stars of today season previews and race reviews introspection opinion facts and laughs here's your host steve mathis
2: Welcome to the BTOsports.com Racerats Podcast presented by Fox Racing. Thanks everybody for listening. I appreciate it. This is Steve Mathis, of course. Use the code PulpMX when you're checking out at BTOsports.com. Save yourself some uh, some big coin. Great guys, uh, brand new website, mobile phone friendly. OEM parts now. BtoSports.com carries it all. Also, Fox Racing on board presenting this to you. Foxhead.com. Visit your local authorized Fox dealer or visit Foxhead.com to uh, to look at the latest stuff. 2016 gear out now. Dungy, Rocks, and just some of the guys that are wearing Fox Racing. All right, and with that, let's get started right into our show. A guy uh, that I thought about uh, a couple weeks ago calling, and uh, he was at Loretta Lynn's all week scouting things out and uh, i'm glad to have him on to recap his career it was a fantastic privateer career lots of top tens uh and we'll get more into it and find out what he's doing now it's uh, it's fred andrews what's up fred
1: oh not much man just uh like you said it's the lens, enjoying amateur racing you know mm-hmm. we all go down there and we all start there and hope that it makes us a yeah professional career sometimes
2: right really right I, I was talking to uh our mutual friend rich taylor this morning and i said i was doing this and he said to give you shit for not coming and finding him his kid raced and uh he heard your voice over the intercom but he never you never
1: went and saw him so he's pissed lightning richard taylor well <laughs> i didn't know i didn't even know what he was going to be there it's, <laughs> it's funny you know the group i grew up with everybody has kids now and they're all racing so yeah. it's you, Once it's in your blood, man, it's in your blood. You got to find time for your team former
2: rad and bad teammate Fred. <laughs> <laughs> um, but thanks for doing this. What's up with you now? What's going on with Fred Andrews these days? Uh, talk, tell us a little bit.
1: Well, right now I'm running, I'm managing, running the KR4 Arrive and Ride program mm-hmm. on the GNCC series, and we also do the Sprint Enduros, which is really catching on back east here. But what we do is. We are like a factory team for the privateer people, the people okay. that want to just come to the races. The parents really don't know a whole bunch about motorcycle racing or how bikes set up or what they need or where to stay and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. we have like 18 guys on the team and we provide everything. We have the mechanic, we get the bikes, so they, kinda, they just rent the bike per round. Oh, you know, cool. We have, yeah, yeah kids that do it for the whole year and the parents show up they drive in their car they save a bunch of money with driving there the kids come we take care of the kids during the race the mom and dad are out there watching (laughs) at the mud holes the uphills or enjoying themselves too while while the kids are racing knowing that kr4 is taking care of their kids in the pit area if they need something oh that's cool and then then after the race the parents you know they can hang out or they get in their car they drive home you know we Load everything up, go home, wash the bikes, and then start race prepping them for the next weekend.
2: It's a little bit, I mean, obviously the bike rental part is different, but it's a little bit like uh, what we see in Supercross with uh, the Teddy Parks team, the Privateer Journey team,
1: or or that.
2: A little bit like that, then.
1: Yeah, I like that, but you know, a lot of the parents really don't know what to do at the races or where to go, so we help them. And plus, the parents want to give them the best tools they can to make them become professional or to let them do the best they can do. So, you know, a lot of parents are busy all week long working, and the kid's got a practice bike at home, the kid's riding the practice bike, and the dad doesn't have time to race prep it and get it all ready and take a whole day off work to get it done. So that's where we step in, and we have everything ready for them to go. Plus, let's
2: face it, too, as a former uh, GNCC champion and a guy who, you know, I don't know, whatever... Six hundred, six hundred podiums in GNCC racing. You know a little bit about uh, the tracks and the terrain and what to watch for and everything else. Like it's, it's almost like having you know like a
1: little perfect riding coach as well, right? Yeah, right, exactly. And that's what I do. I, the the kids and I, we go on track walks on Saturday after the quads get done, so we don't have to worry about getting run over. And we kind of walk and, like you said, mm-hmm. talk about different things, line choices, crossing cricks and logs, and yeah, I'm always there to help them and. You know, when I started, I had Jeff Hicks got me in to the spot where I was in the motocross part. He mm-hmm. had Bob Hanna as his big buddy, so I kind of yeah. just was on their coattails. And, you know, you learn a lot, and you get a lot more um, things handed your way, or you get more lessons learned, and you don't even know you're learning them just from hanging around people that that have done it.
2: Right. And, uh, oh, that's good. Good to hear that you're still doing it and still all that. I know you had a... Geez, for well, for a couple years there, you had a Husky team, and you also ran a Monster Cowie team. Right after you sort of transitioned to the GNCC side, so you've been going to the races. I mean, people may not realize Moto fans like what happened to you, but you had a nice career post motocross, and it looks like you're keeping it going. Yeah,
1: 1993 is when I made the transition to the GNCCs. I actually went to Gainesville the first Pro National Motocross, and mm-hmm. I got an eighth or ninth I think, something like that. And then on Tuesday was the G N C C race right. and my brother my brother Joles did the G N C C the year before, but his knees got too bad and he couldn't do it. And he said, Man, you need to try this, you need to try it. And I'm like, Well right. all right, I guess I will. I'll go try it. And I won that race on Tuesday and shocked everybody and Yamaha came to me and said, Hey, we want you to do the whole year and I said, All right, let's do it. Yeah. So um thanks to them and thanks to my brother, it's really extended my whole career and yeah, in the racing, dude.
2: It's like I did one of these with Mike Brown a little while ago, and like he was out of racing after the pro circuit team dropped him, working at Jim's motorcycle shop in Tennessee. Then he, you know, he went to Europe, got a ride, won the 125 national title, which was pretty amazing. And then kind of was out of motocross and like figured, what am I going to do with my life next? And literally 15 years later, he's still racing. He's still doing these things, kind of like you too, like. What were you do after this motocross thing? And next thing you know, you know, you're you're into this other whole world. And who would have ever thought that, you know, you can keep making a living and and keep keep doing this thing long after the moto career is over.
1: Yeah, I think in, I think in ninety three ninety, you know, right there the whole market kind of changed and people realized that off road racing. There's probably more people that just buy dirt bikes and go riding in the woods yeah. and trails than actually race. And I think that's when the whole boom started. And I right. just caught the very beginning of it and. Mike Brown, I remember racing with him in the Florida Winter Series, and he was the 125B rider, and I was the top pro guy. Uh And we'd be at Croom Riding, and his dad would make Mike pop out behind me and ride for as many turns as he could behind me. And then I would get away, and his dad would make him cut the track and get cut in behind me. So uh, Mike and I got a lot of history, and it's kind of the same thing. Like you said, Mike's a great guy, and he's doing a lot for the sport, and he's elevated you know they've elevated it to the next level mm-hmm. after I got done with it. Right. Um, let's go.
2: Well, actually, do you still ride much? Do you
1: still get out on moto or in the woods or what, how's well, that going? My, you know, it's funny. My boys have been around motorcycles their whole life. I have twin boys that are 15 years old. Uh huh. And I couldn't get them to ride a motorcycle. <laughs> Weird, right? You know. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, because I'm like, come on, let's go ride. No, no, no. Well, last year they actually said, Dad, we want to start riding. So my boys are riding now. So I ride a little bit with them. I mean, my boys just. Aren't racers, but we do the GNCC series and the sprint and and they mm-hmm. go out there and they have fun. And that's the most important thing to me, and any parent should say, you know, your kids need to be having fun at what they're doing. You can't make them do it. Right. They want to do it, do it. And my kids are doing it now. We're having fun, and they're never going to be racers. And I'm great with that, as long as they have fun and it keeps them out of the house. You know, mm-hmm. every kid thinks video games and got their cell phone, and nobody wants to get outdoors and enjoy it. And I think. We're missing that thing. We need to reintroduce our kids to being outside on a dirt bike or yeah. whatever it is. Just getting them out of the house.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. Otherwise, I should probably follow that advice myself. Um, hey, <laughs> let's uh, let's go in the uh, in the time machine here and go back and look at your career a little bit. I got a lot of questions for you. Things that I remember growing up reading in magazines and and then things you know I know over the years. Um, so your parents owned Andrew's Cycle, right? When did that start? When did that begin? Because that was a very very Uh, Big dealership for for many, many years. So was it kind of like right as you were all... Did you always remember this? Or when did that dealership start? Well, in
1: 1982, after I went to Loretta Lynn's and crashed in the last turn when I was ahead of Jeff Stanton and Donnie Schmidt and lost the 100cc class... Um. My parents opened up the shop the following year, so that'd be 83. Oh, okay. and, I, and I actually said, you know what? I'm going to be a pro motocrosser. I'm out of here. I'm going to California. <laughs> right. So I wasn't even there when my parents opened up the shop. Oh, okay. All
2: right. So I was going to say, like, being a kid and having this started would have been a huge advantage to you, but you were already older. You are already on your way by the time the shop opened.
1: Yeah, I was uh, just turned 18, I think, and my mm-hmm. dad said, okay, you're going to be a professional racer. I said, yeah, sure am. He goes, well... You can take that bike, that three-wheel trailer, and and that Chevette, and go racing. <laughs> Chevette, you know, a Chevette's <laughs> like a little Kia, you know. I'm right, like, right, all right, I'm going to California, and yeah. my buddy and I jumped in that car, and we drove to California. Oh wow,
2: that uh, that's pretty cool. Um, so looking back at the the Racer X Vault, it's kind of crazy. Your your pro start, you started in '85. Uh, was the first results that you kind of had um, on a Honda? Um, why Honda? Was it just something you some of you chose that you was, liked, or did you get did you get support?
1: That was the year my my parents opened up a Honda only shop originally. Okay. Um. So that's how that got going. You know, we started with the Hondas, and you not know, everybody was on a Honda, so it was seemed yeah. like it was the right choice. Plus, to promote the shop.
2: Yeah, and they were yeah they were pretty good bikes too back then, <laughs> over everything else, especially mm-hmm. right. Um, yes, sir. You. Uh, I think, okay, so you have a couple of solid years. In 87, um, I think most people remember you in 87, your national number 44. So this is like your second year pro. You've earned number 44, which is already pretty well. Uh, tons of top tens. People really remember you, at least I think most people do, from the 87 LA Supercross. That was the first time that, <laughs> I mean, obviously I knew I'd heard your name, but as a kid, I would have been yep. 13 then. I was like, oh, Fred Andrews. So I, I went back and I watched that race, and I knew you did well. You finished fifth overall, but you ran second. Well, you were leading for a few laps, then you ran second forever. Uh, what do you remember about that race? And what was the, what was sort of the lead up to that race? Like, did you? I'm, the start looks horrifically unfair, by the way. That start was was
1: not very well, I fair. Think, <laughs> I think it helped me that I got a bad jump off the gate. Right. You said it went in there. It was a fast one hundred and eighty turn. Somebody came in there hot and just cleaned everybody out, and I rounded the turn with Guy Cooper, and I'm like, man, I think we're the only two guys standing here. (laughs) So by the time they got up and got going, Mm -hmm. you know, L.A. was kind of an easy track. It was kind of fast, and I could do all the jumps, and sure, the whoops, I wasn't as fast as them, but it kind of gave me a little bit of a head start, and we got going, and like you said, Guy Cooper passed me, and then I was in second for a long, long time, and actually, I was thinking when they were catching me
0: mm-hmm. like rick johnson
1: and then i'm like man just don't knock me down just don't <laughs> knock me down go ahead on by you know i'm just yeah. happy to be up here and i actually remember keith bowen passed me when he was number six right and i said you know what i think i can get him back and i actually passed him back and ended up fifth so i really did have a little bit of fight left left in me at the end but it yeah. was just cool being there getting a good start and and the supercross that's like none other. You know, everybody's right. yelling and screaming and you're jumping through the peristyles and it was Yeah. It was a great memory for sure. Yeah, no doubt, right?
2: I mean, and, and RJ, you know, gets you and it's one of Rick Rick Johnson's greatest rides too. Poor Cooper. He gets second a whole bunch of times. That was his one chance to to uh to win a supercross. But um in eighty seven in the nationals you got tenth overall in 125s, which is second privateer. I think uh Ricky Ryan uh was ahead of you, but I mean, that, that's pretty solid. What do you remember about that year? Like, uh, were you out of a van, just a brand, just driving with you and your, your buddy as a mechanic? Or how'd that go?
1: Yeah, actually, I had a... Um, when I got back from California, I went out to do those one races, and my dad realized that I was really serious about what I was doing, mm-hmm. so he bought me a, a van. And then that next year, we graduated into a box van, and my brother was helping me work on my bikes. And I had a lot actually... Mitch Payton did my bikes, of course. He was... Yeah. Built the best tires and still build the best equipment in my opinion and my bikes were so fast and so good he like I said i was getting good starts i was actually mixing up with leaders up front and um mickey diamond and i had a few run-ins a couple times and
2: uh yeah and he won the title right he was the, he yeah, won the title it,
1: here. Yeah. yeah and it was fun you know he uh i was i was learning had good stuff and it was uh it was really fun really fun to, to be back then and yeah you know i think it, i think it's different too because we all kind of traveled around you know uh-huh. together rodney smith and all of us in vans we were like gypsies we'd go from different <laughs> places and all of us riders even though we were still competing against each other we were right. all top 10 guys we all kind of rode together during the week so it's kind of
2: cool yeah you like found different tracks to ride at or whatever right i mean it was one, yeah. of, one of those things um that coliseum race did i mean were you getting bikes and support from honda at all anything from like a back door. Was it was all through, through Mom and Dad's dealership. Where, I mean, because this is
1: pretty good rides. No, I really wasn't getting any real help from Honda at that point. Okay. I just remember thinking, man, I got fifth place. I'm going to make so much money tonight. This mm-hmm. is going to be great. Yeah. And when I went up to get my money from the AMA, and they're like, I get my check, I'm like, well, shoot, I was getting this for 15th. I'm like, yeah, you know, we had to cut <laughs> the purse tonight. It wasn't such a good turnout or something. I remember being so, so disappointed. I thought I was... You know, I thought I was going to be banking, but... Yeah. Yeah, you're like, wait a it minute. Was, yeah, just, what do you mean I'm only getting this much money? Right. But I think my breakthrough on that was when I was... Uh, Honda started helping me the following year.
2: In 88. Actually, when I,
1: yeah. Yeah, when I turned, when I was national number 17.
2: Right. Um, um, hey, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, and you brought up Mitch Payton. I remember for a long time, you and Larry Brooks... Like before Mitch was had a peak before all that, you know, he Mitch tells a story about you know, uh, RJ ran his pipe once in like 86 87, and uh, it really opened uh, DeCoster and Dave Reynolds' eyes to to, that, you know, he could do good things. But before that, and even after that, you and Larry Brooks were always like pro circuit guys, like uh, a lot of support, a lot of stickers, you know, a lot of a lot of PC stuff on your bikes. How did a guy from Ohio? meet mitch payton and get to be you know get to be in with him and and get all that help over those years
1: well um jeff hicks actually got me in with mitch payton jeff hicks was from ohio right he was hannah's little buddy and mitch knew hannah and then mitch knew jeff and mitch actually started helping jeff and jeff said hey you need to help this guy here out too and mitch is like well if you say he's good let's help him (laughs) right and And the next thing you know i'm staying at mitch's house and he helped me with pipes, and um plus you know, I think Mitch important to Mitch's work ethic, you know, I was out there wasn't a, at first he thought I was some rich kid spending mom and dad's money, but he saw that I was training, I was running, I was riding and and uh really mm-hmm. impressed him that way, and he said, "You know what, whatever you need, and to this day, I still get stuff from Mitch, and yeah, he's very really loyal, too.
2: huh, he's a very loyal dude,
1: yep only two years out of my whole career I did not run his stuff and that's only when I rode for Suzuki and they made me run FMS stuff so mm-hmm. I've tried to be loyal to him too because um as a fact I, was, I ran, in, ran into him down at little red and he's got gray hair now I've been a while <laughs> since I saw him <laughs> yeah
2: well if you had his results you'd have gray hair too
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah he's, uh. having, he's having some ups and downs right now but still rebound I'm sure oh yeah plus he's He's got twins, too, so I think those are helping him out with <laughs> a little bit of grit here.
2: Yeah, really, right? So 87, like you're in a van, you get 10th in 125 Nationals, you get 5th at LA Supercross, you're National number 17, and it says you switched to Suzuki in 88. Mm-hmm. Like, what, nothing from Honda, just beat it? Beat it, kid, we we have RJ and we don't we don't need you? Or what was the switch to Suzuki all about?
1: I believe that's the same year Hannah switched. No, and Hannah. And Jeff
2: Hicks switched. Hannah switched in, uh, 86. 86. Maybe that's yeah. why I did it
1: because of him. I don't remember. I mean, okay. All I, all I know is when I got them Suzuki's, we they, went through a lot of them.
2: They weren't as good as Honda's. That's all you know.
1: <laughs> yeah. Their quality was not as good as what the other ones were. That's for sure. And, right. um, but actually I did real well on it. Uh-huh. I did good. And, you know, I think too, the Suzuki started paying tendency that year. And if yeah. I remember correctly, I think that was the year I was the, uh, one more contingency money than anybody that year, I think, on a Suzuki.
2: Right. Uh, yeah, you got a 13th and 250 Super cru- or 250 Motocross, 16th and Supercross. You didn't race all the Supercrosses. You didn't start until later on, and uh, you switched to a Honda for the 500s. Obviously, uh, Suzuki didn't make one, so um, mm-hmm. and they were fine with you riding a Honda for under 500 class,
1: and they didn't really care. Well, actually, the, uh, with Rich Taylor, my buddy Rich, he was doing endurance testing for Honda out mm-hmm. there at Honda Land, and. He said, "Hey, uh, there's an opening. You want to do it?" And I'm like, "Well, yeah, I'll do it." Right. So we started doing the endurance testing. You know, in Honda, man, they really put their bikes to the test. We were doing them like four, four thirty-minute motors a day. Yeah. And uh, there was like six of us, so we really did that. And actually, it was great for us because it was off-season kind of transition into the 500s, and we were actually getting paid to train. And we were riding somebody else's bike, so it was it
2: was yeah. a great thing. Yeah, how was that? It was just basically all they wanted was time on production bikes,
1: right, to see what broke? Is that kind of the deal, yep. right? Yeah, Just endurance testing. When uh, that bike would come in, they'd put gas in it and make sure the chain was good, make sure all the stuff was good, and the next guy would take off. I mean, the bike never cooled down all day long. <laughs> it was it was uh, a lot of fun. Did it pay well? What do you remember? How, how did that pay? I think it was like a hundred bucks a day or something. It wasn't a whole bunch of money, but they paid for your food and paid for your hotel. And yeah, I mean, you got to ride their bikes. So. And then you're training, like you said, right? Yeah, can't beat it. Um, yeah,
2: it's uh, it, it's it's one of those things people don't understand. There's this whole other world of like testing and and uh, development and and production testing and stuff. And yeah, a lot of guys, a lot of guys did it. Like Rich, I mean, Rich did production they, testing and and then new bike testing as well, like R and
1: D. Yeah, and they take your lap time every time. If you start slowing down, you either pick it up. Or you go home. They, I mean, you just don't go out there and put around. They want you to. They want you to freaking abuse that bike.
2: Yeah, yeah. They want you to get back on it, huh? Eighty um, <laughs> nine. You go back to Honda, and and this might have been your best year. Uh, seventh in two fifties and motor and five hundreds motocross series, and fifteenth in supercross. And again, I don't think you did all the supercrosses, but fifteenth is uh, is no joke. And top ten in both outdoor classes. Did you ride one year on the Suzuki, and you're like, oh wait, I
1: got to get back on a red bike? Is that kind of how that worked? Oh. Or? I did good in the 500 Outdoors, yeah. and then Honda offered... I got a pro support ride from Honda that, the okay. following year, so that's oh. why I switched to Hondas. Were you pulling out salaries
2: at all from anybody, or just gear money, a little bit of gear money? Was that about it?
1: Yeah, just some gear money, and it wasn't very much, and basically you're running for a contingency program. You know, Honda had a great contingency going on, mm-hmm. and you tried to get your other sponsors just to give you some kind of contingency.
2: Right, try to match or whatever. Mm-hmm. This is a whole yeah. era, like... Like Tom Carson or you or, or um the uh, the hoop, these guys, you guys would have been, you know, maybe pulling six figures nowadays with these results. Uh, you know, there's so many more rides nowadays than there was back then. Back then, there was like uh, eight rides, and that's it.
1: Yeah, yeah. You look at it, you know. And then I put on the flip side of that too. When I got into the GNCC, I was making good money. When I look at Eddie LoJack and guys like that, that were.
0: Yeah, true, Nine right? Nine
1: or ten-time champions, they never made a dime. So it's kind of, you know, I just, I caught the bus in the right place in GNCC's. And the motocross, I'd do it all over again for the same results, and the mm-hmm. same amount of money that I made them because it was a great experience. I had a lot of fun. But you're right, I was just a few years too early. Did you ever, did you go to Europe much to uh, to make extra money? Yeah, actually, I did. I did some uh, hard crosses over there. Oh, you did, which, huh? Yeah. Which Jeff Hicks, of course, my buddy, he turned me on to that. And, right. and it's all about who you know, because he could tell those guys in Europe that, hey, this guy's worth having. They could have never heard from me. And they'd say, okay, we're having because, you know, Jeff put his word in it. And that's, that's, right. that's a big part of it. You know, yeah. if you can go to a company, or I can tell my loyal companies, you know, fly or somebody, say, hey, I'll say, Max this guy here is good, we can get some help. And he'll say, hey, if you say he's good, we'll work him out a deal. So, right,
2: right.
1: You know, it still helps even for our team guys like that.
2: Yeah. You wore Answer forever, huh? You and Eddie Cole mm-hmm. go way back? Is yep. that, was
1: that the deal? Yep. Actually, uh, it's funny. I, I, I was Smith-Galco guy, which was Jeff Hicks's brother, Randy. Yeah. I would travel the races with him. I'd put my bike in the truck, and him and I would drive the races, so I'd save me money, and I would sleep in the truck and – and he was, and he got me introduced to Eddie Cole, with Answer, and Answer helped me forever. And then, when Hannah had his clothing line, I switched to HRP stuff, and I wore that stuff. And oh
2: yeah, that's right, HRP. Yeah.
1: Yep, I still um, got those funnel pants. <laughs> hey, Hicks is older than you, right? Hicks would be older than you.
2: Yep. Um, yeah, a- He was pretty good. He was kind of underrated, Jeff Hicks. Like
1: solid right? Yeah, he was really. Yeah, he was really good.
2: Everybody always yeah, just thought, could- oh, he's Hannah's buddy, blah blah blah. But you look at his results; they were they
1: were legit. Yeah, you know, that's what I always tell people. I mean, I don't care if you have the richest parents in the world and they bought you new bikes every weekend and had you a trainer. If you don't want it in your heart, it's never going to happen. Yeah. So, yeah. You're, I mean, it made Jeff better being friends with Hannah for sure because Hannah was a great rider and Hannah liked to train and Jeff yeah. wanted that too. So, if you want it in your heart, it's gonna, you know, it's going to happen. Did you ever go out to Idaho or Cali uh, and ride with Hicks and Hannah? Because I've heard
2: some some stories
1: about Hannah's tracks yeah we went to Idaho where he had his tracks out there up in Boise, yeah and rode a lot and it was like yeah. Southwick all day long and it was and they're just goats a lot of fun they're goat trails like straight up down hills I hear like they are just oh yeah he was yeah we called him a billy goat he was he loved to climb things and do the gnarly stuff and right. it was kind of safe, but it was kind of on the verge if you don't make it, you're done and then I went out to California and I think his uncle had a place out there in the out in the desert there, and right. that's where Hannah first started riding. Jeff and I and Bob used to go out there and ride, and uh, it was a lot of fun. He was, yeah. he was definitely crazy.
2: Yeah, really. Um, and it kind of different, like I've interviewed him a bunch, and I know him a little bit on a personal level. Uh, you read the magazine stories, you hear the things. I mean, he he printed up uh, an obituary for Keith Bowen back in the day and <laughs> all this shit. But then you get <laughs> to know him, and you know him. He's a nice guy. He, he's, he'll oh, give yeah. you the shirt off his
1: back. I remember him, Hannah, coming up to my truck when I was just trying to be a officer, and he come walks up to the truck, and I put the window down, and he said, you stinking privateer. I'm like, what? What? He goes, you got air conditioner on in here. You shouldn't have air conditioner on. You should be getting used to this heat. You shouldn't have air conditioner on in your room. I'm like, what? Right. He goes, yeah, I don't run it in my room, so I can get used to the heat. And I'm like, holy crap, you're crazy. I got to have the air conditioner so I can sleep at least. <laughs> yeah, really, right? Yeah, but, he, you know, he wanted it, and he knew what it was. Right. And he could see a person right off the bat and say, you know, hey, Yamaha, you're wasting your money on this guy, or yeah, this yeah. guy's never going to make it because he knew what it took, and he mm-hmm. would just take you and test you, see right. if you would do what he thought was needed, and if you didn't, he would just, you know, he wouldn't help you. He wouldn't bother. we wouldn't waste his time.
2: Seventh place in 250 and 500 outdoors in 89, no joke, 15th in Supercross, like I said, and you switch to Suzuki the next year. Now, I heard uh, Mike Craig, Denny Stevenson, maybe you were one of the guys that basically Honda had said to all you guys, and I'm not sure if you were in this group or not, Fred, but I know Denny and Craig were, hey, we're going to help you. You're going to get a lot of support. Oh, wait, we signed JMB. All that stuff we promised is gone. Were you in that group, or how'd that go at the end of 89 with Honda?
1: Well, like you said, I had my best year ever, and I thought, man, I'm going to get at least the same. I may even get more. And they said, uh.
2: No, nope, we got nothing. <laughs> yeah, like, seventh place. I mean, I, I know, I get it, they got RJ, you know, they got these these good dudes, but you must have been, like, pounding your head against the wall. You're getting top tens every week, basically looking at your results, fifth at high point in the 250 class, and sevenths, and, and ninths, and 500s, and, and, you know, top tens and 250s, and, and just, see you later. Like, it's got to be yeah, frustrating. It, yeah, it
1: wasn't. You know, it's just, you, you know, you have your best career, and you think, man, it's going to happen this year. I'm going to get some more stuff. And it wasn't like I was getting fifty sixty thousand bucks 60000 a year. You know, I'm getting some bikes and some parts, and I was happy. <laughs> right, right. And, and then uh, Suzuki said, hey, we'll help you. Yeah. So that said, okay. And their tendency was better. So, I mean, basically, whoever paid the most money, I, I was going to ride their bike because, yeah. you know, in the end, I'm there to try to make as much money as I can, you know? Yeah, Absolutely.
2: So Suzuki, and, uh, did you get a salary at all or just a real good bikes and parts, nope. free bikes and parts?
1: Yeah. yeah, just bikes and parts. I never got a salary until I turned GNCC racing. <laughs> <laughs> of course, right? Uh, yeah, but, but, and I never thought you could ever make money off-road racing, and boy was I wrong. Yeah, you, uh,
2: I'm like so in 88, the Suzuki kind of stunk, but 90, they're actually decent bikes. They were getting to be better. Do you remember them being a little better, maybe not Honda-esque, mm-hmm. but better? Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah, they they definitely caught up. You know, the joke was at first that all the bikes were built on a Honda crate bolts, you know, because, <laughs> you know, they really weren't bolts. But, uh, yeah, you know, everything yeah. got better. Yeah. Know, Honda had a leap on everybody, and then all the Japanese guys said, hey, you right. know, they all got into it. And uh, it's like now I think all the bikes are really good. It just depends on who's on them. Yeah, they are pretty equal
2: nowadays. I think Hannah told me, Bob told me that really the 89, 90 bikes were the first time that kind of his influence became you know he switched in 86 but it takes a long time to get that mm-hmm. boat turned around and in 89 90 he felt like they were starting to listen to him a little bit make him narrow make them skinny and uh you know try to make him a decent bikes. so but again so you switch off hondas but you're still still doing pretty solid i mean um you know decent results on the suzuki maybe not as great as on the honda like your 89 was probably your career year but I mean, in '90, you got eighth and 500. Of course, that's on a Honda. But 14th again. Were you hurt a little bit, or do you remember getting injured or injury, get injured?
1: Yeah, I think I had a few little minor things yeah. here and there. I never. I mean, thankfully, I never. When I was hurt, my body said it was hurt. I didn't ride. You know, I wanted yeah. a long career. I didn't I never really. There's certain injuries you can ride with, and certain injuries you can't. So when my body was hurt, or if I had something hurt, I'd never push the envelope and rode. You know, if it was right. going to injure it worse or make it make it where I wouldn't be able to ride at all like right. a lot of guys kind of do now I think a lot of people think well you know I got to push you will half to race well, no you don't because you know if you want to have a big career you got to keep your body healthy and yeah I think longevity that, that's what saved me that way
2: yeah it doesn't it doesn't doesn't help to come back early especially if your results aren't good it's such a mental game like look at Justin Barsha right I don't know how much you're following the series still but Barsha's out there kind of Fifth, sixth, seventh place guy, you know, blah blah blah. He wins him in the mud where he has fun and like a light switch. Now he's beating Ryan Dungey. And it's just such a mental thing. And if you're on the line, I think, and you're hurt and you're not able to perform, then mentally you start not being in the right head space that you need to be in. You know, and basically what I'm saying, Fred, is you riders are, are mental cases.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're you're definitely we're definitely nuts 'cause like you said, you get to the line and you're thinking, shoot, I didn't get the train right all week long you're already getting yourself beat up before you even start. So, yeah. yeah, that's no way to go the starting line for sure.
2: So, like you said, so 90 ride Suzuki, 91, you're back uh, again, 10th place in 500s. Like, the 500 class wasn't as strong as the 250 class back then. They split it into two series. But still, Fred, you looked like you were a pretty good 500 rider. Was it something about the bigger bikes or something about a Honda bigger bike? Or, or what was it about the 500s that, that made you do so well?
1: Yeah, I think it was – you know, a lot of guys didn't ride it because, you know, of the two series. The two series, Suzuki didn't make a bike, so their factory guys weren't in it. So it wasn't as deep as far as, you know, rider depth, and there mm-hmm. was a lot more privateer guys in there. And it was it was fun, you know. It it was fun. And, yeah, I liked the bigger bike. I liked the motorbike. My 250s were my favorite, but it seemed like the 500s I always did better on.
2: Yeah. Do you, uh, my, my, my childhood hero, Ross Rollwall peterson once wedged a CR500 motor into an RM250 chassis uh, and raced a little. <laughs> Did you ever try that? Did you ever think about that?
1: Crazy Canucks. No, <laughs> I uh, don't think I it... didn't. I didn't like making a bike. You know, I rode it with what was there right. and old Can't... rollerball. He was a crazy guy. Imagine this. It didn't handle that
2: well. The twitchy RM250 <laughs> with a 500 motor in it um, <laughs> didn't didn't quite work out so well. Uh, BTO sports.com racer X podcast presented by Fox racing with uh, fast Freddie Andrews from Ohio. We're going to take this quick commercial break here and be right back to, uh, to talk more to Fred about his career. Use the code pulper 15 to save yourself uh, 2015 to save yourself 10% at race tech suspension and also uh, dirt cheap helmets. Uh, go to dirt cheap helmets.com use code RiderX and you can save 5%. They're already smoking good deals and uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back with uh, Fred Andrews. Or maybe you just need some revalving on the machine to, uh, help you, uh, take first place in that Chicken Licks Raceway. Something, something, uh, on your bike needs attention for Race Tech. I guarantee you. Freeze, Gilmore, some of the guys just using, uh, Race Tech Privateer Proven. They work with, uh, Ben Lemay also. They're back with Ben Lemay. And, uh, they offer a full line of Race Tech high performance springs. These springs are called high performance because they're extremely lightweight for their rates and feature the tightest tolerances in the industry. You want to save 10% at, uh, Race Tech? Go to PulpMX. 2015 when you order you can save 10% at Racetech.com and they're uh, proud sponsors of this podcast and we thank you guys alright
1: back to the show DirtCheapHelmets.com is dedicated to protecting your head and your wallet The site is hands down the coolest and easiest to use in the helmet world DirtCheapHelmets.com is the one stop shop to get helmets for you and everyone you love without breaking the bank We have helmets for our grand opening starting at $40, and that includes free shipping. These are all new helmets that we get a great deal on and pass the savings on to the customer. This includes free shipping on all helmets and a no-hassle exchange policy. We have a wide range of brands including Fly, HJC, Shoei, G-Max, and more. Podcast customers can get 5% off these already smoking good deals by using promo code RIDERX.
2: All right, and we're back on the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast, presented by Fox Racing, Fred Andrews. Fred, did you ever wear Fox? Never did, did no, you? No, sir. No, I never? Nope. remember that. Hey, um, this whole time you're racing, like, you know, you're getting top tens, how's your relationship? I mean, obviously, we talked about Hannah, but how's your relationship with Wardy, RJ, Lachine, and these guys? I mean, did, were you broing down with them? Were you riding with them? How, how was that kind of relationship?
1: No, I don't. I rode with Johnny O'Mara a little bit Did you? because of Hannah yep. Yep. and David Bailey, but never really. Jeff Ward, just you know, say hi or talk to him. Right? You know, when you're at the races, them guys are on their game, and you don't really talk to that many people at the races. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't. I never really saw him out doing different stuff. You know, I'm not really a social butterfly. Kind of <laughs> right. keep my own little group, anyways, and doing your deal. Yeah, I mean, um, of course, Lachine. Everybody saw him out. <laughs> Right. So yeah, you
2: knew where he was at night. Um, yeah. How was uh? how did what was Team Rad and Bad? All I remember was those posters. As a as a as a young boy, I remember the posters Fred with your bike. Uh, but uh, what was Team Rad and Bad? It was based out of Michigan or something.
1: It was based out of Cleveland, Ohio. Actually. Oh okay. You know, my career was my career was on the downside. You mm-hmm. know, I was just I was still racing and having fun, but you know, I was starting to have to use my own money instead of somebody else's. and uh, Rad and Bad was started by Jeff Johnson. His dad actually printed all the NBA basketball cards, oh, okay. trading cards, oh, all on right. his place, and he wanted his son like motorcycles. And his son made a few posters, and the dad had the, all the equipment to print. And so the cost of making the stuff was next to nothing, and they started making motorcycle trading cards. And um, being from Ohio, I guess I kind of met Jeff. Right. And
2: um, I remember that my yeah,
1: those cards. girlfriend at the time, she. Jeff said, well, we'll hire you and we'll have her make posters. So it was now my wife, Amy, and she was making posters and I was racing for the team. So she was there selling posters and making money, and I was at the track making uh-huh. money racing. So it kind of worked out good because then we traveled together more. And it was, it, was, it was a lot of fun. It's something that I can't believe never really caught on with the trading cards. Yeah, I mean, they sold, they sold so many more posters or pretty girls and some guy on a darn dirt bike. <laughs> I didn't know that was your wife, Fred. Now I feel bad for
2: thinking all this time. One about- of them
1: one of them. He had a whole bunch of. He
2: had like four or five or oh, something. Okay. Men, maybe, yeah. All right. I. I think I, I'm pretty sure. Weren't you eighteen? What were you? Eighteen on that. That Rad and bad. Twenty four. Twenty four. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think I have a poster. Rad and bad. It could be your wife. Who knew? Um. Okay. Yeah. I do remember the Rad and bad thing. I. I didn't know the trading card co- the connection. And that's pretty cool. I like that.
1: Yeah. That was the, that was the main thing for them. They thought would go. You know, that was what they really were trying to achieve was. Everybody's got baseball trading cards, so why not have motorcycle trading cards? And it yep. actually never didn't take off like they thought it would, for sure. Uh,
2: so okay, the career is winding down. So you, like you said, you go to Gainesville. You what? Let's see how you, how you did it at Gainesville '93. You I got uh, eight, eighth and
1: a DNF or something? I yeah, fifteenth
2: fifteenth o- overall with a uh, yeah nine thirty two nine DNF. Uh, mm-hmm. Rollerball beat you overall, by the way. But anyways, okay uh, So literally, you your brother says Hey, try this GNCC race on Tuesday Is that really yep. how it goes? That's how it goes down? Yep, yep. that's how wow. it went down And you like put some handguards on and took your motorbike out
1: Actually, I don't even know if I had handguards Even on my bike Maybe I was <laughs> sure handguards I right. went down there and signed up And nobody knew who I was Yeah, did know where to park I parked out by the big oak tree uh-huh. All by myself I had a motocross 2-gallon tank And I had a milk jug <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and you won. We weren't yeah, we weren't racing. So this would have been Scott Summers' days or was he done by then? Uh, well yeah, Scott Summers was the man and I remember seeing his mechanic, Fred Bramlett, putting up a board not to worry, he'll get tired, you know, and this and I said, shoot, I ain't getting tired <laughs> and, you, know, uh, you know one thing Rich told me about you, Rich Taylor, is that you
2: didn't train a lot, but you were always like in phenomenal shape. Like you weren't like a yeah. hard trainer, but for whatever reason you're just naturally you can ride a motorcycle for a long
1: time. I don't know. If you, do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't. I rode a life cycle. I air down a lot, and I rode my bike almost every day. I mean, I'm the kind of guy that needs to ride my bike all the time. Right. I couldn't take three or four days off and go racing. Mm-hmm. You know, it just didn't work for me.
2: Now, you apologize for my lack of GNCC knowledge here, but I do. I should have had Weigand on the line here. He would have been able to fill me in all about it. But I remember you won a title one year. Battle with Rodney Smith, seemingly, for a
1: decade. Uh, Is that kind of how it
2: went, you and
1: Rodney? Yeah. Lost to Rodney by a point or two every year, it seemed like. Yeah. It was, uh, you know what, though? At at the first one it started, they didn't count every race. You only counted out nine out of 13. Okay. And I I was like Mr. Mr. Consistency. If they would have counted all the races, I would have won more championships, you know? Yeah. Because some guys had bad races, but I was always, you know, top five, top three guys were winning and it's just somehow or another, I never won another one, but I came real close and, uh, had a lot of fun with it. You know, it's, it's different riding in the woods with guys like Rodney Smith and I and Scott Pleschinger, we would get together riding and it'd almost be like a trail ride. We'd be having fun together and passing people and then going through cricks and logs. And afterwards it was, Mm -hmm. the whole atmosphere is so much different than motocross.
2: Yeah, like I was going to say, we've seen a lot of motocrossers, and I did Unadilla, GNCC, and I did Indiana. Um, you see a lot of motocrossers show up for one time, and most of them suck. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a different type of riding. It's a long time. It's uh, it's not the go, go, go mentality of motocross. So what made you good at it, do you think? Like what, what was kind of, obviously, we talked about your endurance, which is what you need, but also, too, like what made you adapt so quick to it and do so well at it? I was always doing hair scrambles
1: even though I was a moto guy. Oh you were? Okay. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. during the off season. So I so I grew up riding in the woods, so oh, okay. it was something I was accustomed to and I I, I was good at it, for right. sure.
2: Yeah, naturally. Like right away you're like, "Oh wait." And then so Yamaha gets you on board. Is is Rodney on that DRZ thing back then or is he is he on a No, Kordowski
1: okay. was on the DRZ.
2: Oh yeah. Poor poor Mike.
1: Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. I mean, he's such a great rider and they put him on that thing and I, I don't know how he. I don't know how he did as good as what he did on it. so yeah, I my think, hats off to him on that. I think
2: he won one race on that bike, and then yeah, finished pretty well I, in a lot of others. Um, I think
1: he. he I don't think he ever. Won, he never won a GNCC. He,
2: oh, he won didn't? a works
1: race. I, oh, I thought, yeah. thought he won I works, thought I he, I thought he won a
2: GNCC on that thing. Um, but it was really a. If you think about it, like Kordowski's there, you're there. Rodney Smith is there, and of course Rodney before he went to the GNCCs was uh, got second in the world championships and top privateer over here like yourself for many years, and I'm. I'm there's one more name that's escaping me but it was a moto dude it was kind of like a really like sort of the zenith of that series a little bit like it was at least for myself so guy anyways cooper, guy cooper came in for a couple years yeah maybe it was cooper then maybe i was thinking about cooper but i remember there was all these old motocrosser guys like dicing it out every weekend and it seemed like a really cool series
1: you know yeah yeah we had a lot of fun together it's kind of a rebirth for us all to Go back at it, it made us all feel like kids again.
2: Yeah, yeah, and and actually you were and you were truly making money racing dirt
1: bikes. Yeah, that was <laughs> which, the funny. part. Which is the good like, part. right? I'm getting paid to ride in the woods. Right, it's something that I love to do, and so I was I was definitely fortunate. You know, it yeah. shows your dreams. You know, you never give up on your dreams. Just keep on going after it. And
2: yeah, it'll happen. Yeah, really. Uh, your why'd you quit? Why'd you, what happened? Why'd you quit racing GNCCs? Was it just time? Were you, was, your, was your body just telling you that it was
1: time, or your you know? my body? My body was good. Um, Kawasaki. I wrote my last two years. I did a Suzuki deal with them for two years, and then at the end of about the middle of that, Reed Nordine from Kawasaki approached me about running the the mm-hmm. Kawasaki team for the next few years, and that's something I've always wanted to do. Was make that transition to run run a race team and be a team manager and do all that and i said i would i said but i'm only going to race one year and then Mm -hmm. the next year i'm gonna concentrate on making the team and hiring guys so that's how that happened um plus you know i lost the the will to want to get up and train all the time i just had enough of it yeah my day in the sun
2: well since 1984 you've been doing (laughs) racing their motorcycles (laughs) so it's it's got
1: to end sometime right Yep, sure does, and you know, I had a great career, like I said, and I had yeah. fun with it, and now I wanted to give back to mm-hmm. young guys coming up and see who I could help and yeah. let them achieve their goals.
2: Was it frustrating sometimes when you talk to riders in the motor world that manage uh, teams or whatever, they they get frustrated because they want to be the one out there um Doing it, and it's all in their hands. Whereas as a manager, you're sitting back, and you got a headset on; it's out of your hands. And sometimes there's a little frustration there. What were you like as a manager slash owner of this team?
1: Well, you know, off road, we didn't have a, that luxury. Really, I think it was just just me running me and my mechanic Joe Maurer, We were just together, and we kind of ran it together. It was more of a it's kind of like a family affair more than a
0: mm-hmm. if
1: you don't win type of thing. You're out. You know, we uh, found. For me, in off road, if you, you're a good person, you have a good family with you. You're going to be good at racing. You know, Rodney Smith brought his family to the race. my yeah. family was there. Plestinger's family was there. You know, it's it's how yeah. kind of that that family support really helps out. Little Aaron running around now. Look at him. <laughs> oh, little Aaron, yeah, it's amazing. He uh, <laughs> he shocked everybody, man. My hats off to him. He's worked really hard. He's had a lot of injuries and mm-hmm. uh, he's bounced back from them. And yeah. Yeah, that goes to show you, like his dad was never really breathing down his neck making him be an off-road guy he wanted to be a moto guy and his dad let him follow his dream that's really worked out good yeah let him do what he wanted right um
2: yep. how long did you run a cowie team for
1: um i ran the cowie team for three
2: years for those guys okay and full then monster, um, yeah monster cowie support like a little it's basically the mitch yep. payton team of of gncc yep
1: yep yep that's what we were and then Cause so I decided they kind of didn't want to do a team anymore in GNCC They kind of wanted to do it, you know, by rider part. So then I started up a Yamaha monster team cause monster was still with me. Monster mm-hmm. was a great sponsor of mine for a long time. And, uh, they said, well, let's just do a Yamaha team, then And Yamaha said, well, you know, we'll get you some bikes for a good deal and yep. that and the other. And boom, there we were again, we were back racing.
2: Yeah, that's pretty cool. No doubt. Um, Hey, uh, before we wrap this up, btosports.com, dot com X Podcast, Fred Andrews. Hey, uh, so you won Montreal Supercross one time, I believe. Just going off memory, I didn't do any research, but as a Canadian, I think you did. Sure did. did. Um, so that's amazing that you're able to beat Rollerball, Fred. Congratulations. Nobody beats Rollerball. But uh, you somehow managed to do it. But <laughs> uh, it wasn't easy. He, give, didn't, he, give, he, didn't, he didn't like that idea at all. No, he doesn't like that. He doesn't like <laughs> losing in Canada. Give me a rollerball story. You got one? You got it? You must yeah. have raced a rollerball eighteen thousand times.
1: I used to race. You know, rollerball. We raced a Florida winning series together. Right. Exactly. And, you and know, that. and he was stronger than me, and he rode the class above me. Thank God, because we would practice <laughs> together, and we were close. But he, I mean, he was better and stronger, so he would win that. And then we left to to. Uh, Montreal, they paid a pound of gold to right. win up there. Yeah. So, um, I was on my Suzuki. I got the whole shot. Of course, rollerball. Something happened to him, and he was coming. He was coming. Oh, Halfway yeah. point. He catches me. We're getting closer, and we're getting real close. It's the last, last, <laughs> last turn. He's going to try to break your leg, I guarantee you. <laughs> I think maybe his throttle stuck, or his brakes went out or something. But <laughs> he hit you? He hit me so hard, it was like a semi hitting the pinno and freaking popped me clean off the track but thank goodness what something happened to him and he crashed too oh perfect so you, you, and i didn't actually fall but man i got off i made the turn came back on the track crossed the finish line and my ankle was so bad i could barely walk it was puffed <laughs> up like a catfish
2: no, no one takes a canadian supercross easily when in those <laughs> days so they literally gave you a pound of gold like right there yeah we Yep, you got twelve little twelve little bars crossing customs. You're like, no, I got nothing to declare. Nothing to declare. Just these gold bars. Of course, I, I said, no. This is yes. I want to declare all this. <laughs> I just happen to have twelve gold bars. I'm a chic <laughs> coming over from yeah. Uh, Dubai. Um, yeah, you. Ha- uh, they're really
1: chocolate bars. Yeah, they're exactly right. Bars. Yeah, they're
2: they're wrapped somewhere. up in gold. Um, yeah. No, I didn't. I knew they gave away a pound of gold. They don't do do it anymore. Well, the race isn't there anymore. But they stopped years and years ago. But I didn't know like. They actually gave the riders, like
1: right there and then, a pound of gold, but I guess they do. Okay. So Jim Holly won the first night, and uh, they they, you know, that was, they'd done it for a long time, and yeah, it was, it was cool. I still have them. Oh, you do? You didn't cash them in?
2: Uh, Yeah, I'm not that broke. (laughs) Yeah, you'll wait. (laughs) You'll wait and see. Uh, You could rub them on your ankle. That's three times the size of a rollerball. Um,
1: uh, hey, that's probably the only thing that still bothers me this day, thanks,
2: Dan. So I'll,
1: I'll never forget all Rollerball.
2: <laughs> As a Canadian, or a fan of Rollerball, I'm happy to hear that, Fred. Um, sorry about your angle, though. Uh, hey, uh, favorite track ever? Don't say Kenworthy's. Don't say Kenworthies. No. Favorite track ever? I remember
1: walking Kenworthies the first time, going. One, two, 50, 60, There's a hundred and something jumps here. What <laughs> the heck? <laughs> um, you actually, I looked at your results.
2: You, you did well there, but never any better than you would do at other races. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't a hometown track so far, so much for you, no. I guess, uh, as people would love to be. I mean, don't get me wrong. Again, you did well, but you did well at a lot of tracks. So
1: I think like High Point,
2: I mean, Steel City at the 125 GP, I got fourth overall there. Oh, yeah. I, I remember that. That was 87, right?
1: Yep. 87, and, uh, I remember that, yeah. Mickey Diamond won the first Moto by a mile, because Ron Machine didn't make it home in time to, yeah. to he... sign up that day. So no, he, he's, he's,
2: he slept in past his alarm, That's what I read.
1: <laughs> yeah, so Mickey Diamond won the first motor by a mile, and the second uh-huh. Moto. I mean, Bale was there, that was when Bale first came to America, and nobody yeah. really knew who he was, and uh, I think I got the start or something on my pro circuit Honda, and mm-hmm. uh Mickey Diamond finally caught up to me, and I said, I mean, I wasn't blocking him, but I wasn't rolling off the red carpet, and right. we got into a fierce battle, and come up to the finish line at Steel City, it's still the same, it's that off-camera, and you turn right, and you got like that little yeah. double jump up before you make the hairpin and come back down. Right. And uh, he went wide, and I went on the inside, and I went just fast enough to hold him off so he couldn't cut beneath me and jump it. And Right. He stepped off the back of the bike anyways and shot put it into me, <laughs> and uh, the bike tangled up into me, and it fell over, and I just kept on going. And nice. Af- after the race, uh, Mickey and his mechanic, Chris Haynes, yeah. they came over to my truck to see me, but little did they know, you know, I only had like 600,000 friends there. <laughs> it's two hours from my house, and yeah. they come over, and... Uh, they turned around and left, so the, the, that's a good so, Mickey Diamond story for you. The,
2: the SoCal dudes didn't want anything, didn't want none back then. No, nope,
1: they can't, No, no, none of us Ohio boys. So, so still I'd City. Say either still yeah. City or High Point. Yeah,
2: yeah, either one. I was going to, my next question was your your favorite race, your best race of all time, but maybe you just told it to me. That sounds pretty exciting. Um, yeah, I, I mean, are, High
1: Point. Or the Coliseum, maybe. High Point 2, yeah. High Point 2, Rich was there for this race. I, uh. I was number 18 on a Suzuki, I think, or 17, 18, whatever it was. And the mm-hmm. first motor, I don't know how I did. And the second one I come in, I got a bad start, crashed, crashed again, came to the, in the pit area where my brother was my mechanic. And I said, hey, my clutch lever's loose. Fix it. And he's like, what? I uh-huh. said, my effing clutch lever's loose. Fix it. Yeah. Next thing I know, I was laying off the back of my bike. <laughs> Here he, punch, he punched me, threw my helmet, knocked me clean off the back <laughs> of my bike. Nice brother. So just, yeah, and then Dirt Rider did a story, of brothers in arms, and somebody actually got a picture of it. Oh no way! Uh, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I just left my got up, left my bike there, walked up to my truck, and I drove home.
2: Oh, I got to ask Rich about this story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, high point eighty nine. You went uh, five six. That's pretty solid. Yeah. Fifth overall. Yeah, yeah. Beating Rollerball that day, who went nine fifteen. So, um, so about what
1: time I beat that guy?
2: What race stands out? I mean, obviously, that's that one for bad reasons, but was there, I mean, Coliseum, maybe? I don't know. Was there one race where you were just on fire?
1: I think the 125 GP was a big thing because, you know, they were 40-minute or 45-minute motos. Right, right. I mean, I qualified, like, 25th or something like that, and Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, boom, something just clicked, and I got fourth overall, and... Right. That was the year I got some offers to ride in Europe. The following year, on some, by some people to go over there, but oh, you did! Oh, cool. Yeah, I just wasn't up for leaving America. You know, I think my career was done here, and mm-hmm. you know, there's too much over there. I didn't know, but no, I'd say that probably was the one, or yeah, probably for that or winning my first GNCC too. You know, that's something nobody expected me to do, but yeah, I knew I could do it. So well, you, had, you had a milk jug for gas. <laughs> yeah, and they were all like, Where did you pit? How did you do it? And I'm like, I just step and knife in my milk jug and squeeze the thing in there. I mean, what's the big deal? I don't need a big tank. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um,
2: favorite bike ever. Was there one that stood out? I'm gonna say an eighty seven CR two fifty maybe, but uh is there yeah. one is there one bike that stood out?
1: You know, people are probably gonna think it's crazy, but yeah, I mean my eighty seven Honda City was awesome, but mm-hmm. my I've been riding the new Husky and uh, I really like that bike. Yeah, you know the new four stroke. It's just so easy to ride, and I can ride it all day and not get tired. So I know. I think I think they're you know they're making a big comeback. So it's uh, it's exciting to be part of that. You know, like a, a Cara 4 ride and ride. That's what we use. We use the Husqvarna brand, and we were using KTM because you know that's what everybody wanted to ride. Well, right. Husky approached us about you know using their bikes, and now when we show up, we've got. 20 huskies sitting at the races you know that really weren't wouldn't be there if it wasn't for us and um it's it's cool the heritage they have and even when i rode them when the italians made them the red-headed huskies those great bikes too yeah 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 i think it was just hard go ahead for people it was hard for people to accept them again when we started that husky team with andrew DeLong and those guys they laughed at us they said i can't believe you're going to ride those bikes you'll never do good you know if which is a big word. If Andrew wouldn't have got hurt those two years, you know, we could have been champs. And he won a lot of races. He was a two hundred some pound guy on a yeah. two fifty four stroke that they said was a turd. And, I mean, he gave me his all, and he's probably one of my best riders I ever had.
2: Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I think you just summed up why two strokes went away. You could ride a four stroke all day and not get tired because they are great that way. They, uh, yeah. you know, they make power. They they allow you to clear any jump at the local track from the inside. You know what I mean? Anything like that. That's why. That's why they're good. Yep. That's why they sold so the many. Ease
1: of, the, the ease of ride, and then on the flip side, it's just man. If you, something goes wrong, it just costs so darn much <laughs> to fix them. So yeah, it does. Actually, East Coast two-strokes are really strong back here, so I'm happy to see that. Yeah,
2: the you know, the last GNCC I went to was the Florida Opener, maybe two years ago, uh, around Daytona, and I could not believe the amount of two-strokes. It was crazy. That was two years ago.
1: Yep. So. It's and they're making a comeback, so I'm I'm glad to see that because I think it'll be a lot more. Mm-hmm. Full- affordable for people to get back into it. Right. Uh
2: so we covered we covered all your highlights, but give me a low light. Give me your worst race ever. Was there one race that you know, I, mean, I guess Loretta Lynn's like you said you fell in the last turn and, and 6 times Stanton got you, but uh was there um was there one that stands out that you, were, you know, just worst race ever?
1: Um not really. I think any time I got to ride my bike, I was pretty happy and oh, That's cool. As long as I came in and wasn't hurt, you know. I, I think a few times Looking back, losing to Rodney by one or two points for like three or four years in a row, <laughs> right. you know, you can always think, you know, what? Hey, if I would have done just done better at this one race, you know, but yeah. you can't do that, you know. Every time I went out there, I did the best I could, and that's all I had that day. So yeah. there's no real, real bad races I can right. remember except for yeah, Stan and Donnie Schmidt beating me. Yeah do you uh, do you
2: have a Rich Taylor story that you'd like to share that you can share for for the air?
1: Lightning Richard Taylor, you could not beat that guy practicing. <laughs> the, he was the fastest guy, but during the week rather, during the week yeah. he would just rule. <laughs> oh yeah, I couldn't I could barely even hang with him and then on the weekend he just was just as nervous, I guess. And right. He couldn't couldn't I, put it together on a Sunday.
2: I love the uh my favorite Rich Taylor story is the uh, Washougal Washugal ninety six one where he holds shots and then promptly knocks himself unconscious. I like to remind him of that every <laughs> now and then. Uh, (laughs) i think it was 96 i was there as a mechanic back then i was 95 96 one of those ones um well hey fred thanks for thanks for doing this man a really solid career uh on the motocross track and off-road obviously years and years of great results it's a bummer like i said back then in the era you raced in like there wasn't if you race now you'd have a team and you'd be making six figures with these kind of results but one of those things man and I like your attitude. It, it's good to uh, to see that you know, like you said, you wouldn't change a thing, and that's the way it is. And thank you for doing the uh, BTOSports.com RacerX podcast, presented by Fox Racing. Thank you. Well, thanks for
1: having me, and uh, it was nice talking to you. And... Is is there a, a website
2: where people can find out more about your uh, your deal and C GNCC, GNCCs? Yeah,
1: yeah. Good, good point. Kr4performance.com.
2: Kr4performance.com.
1: Or, uh, okay. My email is f. Andrews at care for performance.com, the number four KR and then right. the number four and that they needed a, you know, that's the thing too. I mean, people can come try a GNCC. They've never done it and know that we have all the tools that they need to make it happen. You know, we've got mechanics at the track. We've got yeah. big trucks, we've got the camps. We've got everything. We've got Rocky mountain, ATV MCs are main sponsor this year, you know, and they came on a board with us and, uh, you know, we've got guys from all over Europe and America, and just you know, people want to come try it, but don't know how to do it. Man, we yeah. can help them out and make their dreams come true.
2: Well, cool. Yeah, we got lots of listeners to these things, so hopefully, you can get some business from uh, from this. It's really cool. Once they if they've never tried a GNCC, they will try it and then realize that it is it is hard as shit. <laughs> 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 um, they'll realize that the, that that the off road guys
1: are really true heroes. There's no doubt. One because- more. One more quick question. Yeah. Story, Guy Cooper. You know, he came back and did it, and he came up and uh, he won the first race, and they, I you mean, know, they paid the money the first race, and then mm-hmm. the next race he got like fifth, and mm-hmm. he went up to uh, get his money, and they're like, you know, hey, I come here for my money, and they give him three hundred bucks, and he's like, I was three hours for three hundred <laughs> bucks. You guys are nuts.
2: <laughs> <laughs> You're like, how? Actually, I, I was doing a lot better when I was winning or getting podiums in supercrosses, so. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a little different pay scale off road, but yeah,
2: no, it's that's it, part of it. Yeah, exactly. No, uh, thanks for doing this again, Fred. I appreciate it, man. And uh, good luck with everything, and uh, and we'll see you down the road. Thank you.
1: All right, thanks for having me. Talk to you later. All right, see ya. Bye. This has been the BTOSports.com podcast show presented by Fox Racing. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil cylinders as a...
2: I said about these modern-day guys in Switzerland or Holland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? They're not doing it if they think they're so much better Nowadays than they were in those days. They're fools. They're different bikes different times the beast
1: from the east Damon Bradshaw It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home and once I got to the race I wasn't into it if I wasn't gonna give hundred percent. I'm not gonna take the money the working-class hero Doug Henry The O Show, Johnny O'Mara. Stuff that you could—you sit there if you didn't want to ride it, you just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes Store to enjoy these and over 500 more great motocross podcasts.